Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Touchdown Wire's Week 9 NFL Matchup Podcast with Doug Farrar and Mark Schofield. I am Doug Farrar, the NFL editor for Touchdown Wire and the USA Today Sports Media Group. This week, as always, Mark and I will go through all the big Week 9 NFL matchups. And this week, we'll go through some of our most favorite underrated players. So here we go, the Touchdown Wire Week 9 NFL Matchup Podcast with Doug Farrar and Mark Schofield. Hope you enjoy Welcome, 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 everyone, to the Week 9 Matchup Podcast with Doug Farrar and Mark Schofield of Touchdown Wire. I'm Doug Farrar, and uh, that's, that's Mark Schofield over there. And Mark, <laughs> we're coming into Thursday morning a bit bleary-eyed. We don't know a lot more than we do know, and we're talking more about other things in the NFL. Uh, but in the interest of controlling what we can control, uh, we're going to talk some ball today <laughs> and just leave the rest for the rest, and, you know, we'll see what happens. We will see what happens, um, but it has been a bleary-eyed week. Lots of caffeine and coffee, um, but we forge on because that's what the NFL is doing because apparently they're going to play a game tonight, which is rather interesting given news out of Green Bay and San Francisco, but yeah. we're forging on. Uh, pretty much everyone on the Niners outside of like I, – I, I was reading a stat, and I don't know about um, – I think anyone who touched the ball in Super Bowl 54 for the Niners is not playing. Yeah. Which is kind of scary. And, yeah. you know, COVID protocol and mask up and Green Bay's entire running back rotation. We're down to Tyler Irvin, who has been – so let's start, let's start with that. Uh, Tyler Irvin is the main running back. He's been more of their – the motion guy. Yeah. Uh, when they're running jet and stuff like that, he'll be the motion guy. He's flashed a little bit. And with the Niners, you just – I mean, they're, they're so depleted right now. Let's move to that side of the ball. Um, yikes. So Nick Mullins alert. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I mean well, let, me, let me frame it this way because we don't really know what we're going to see from either team. So let's, let's get into the larger existential conceptual question. Um, Jimmy Garoppolo is going to be out for a number of weeks. This might be the end of his season. He's got a $26.9 million cap hit next year, $2.8 million in dead if he's cut. I mean, if you're Kyle Shanahan and you're the best offensive mind in the NFL, uh, how can you go to John Lynch after what you've seen from Garoppolo and say, yeah, I want to do this another year? Because I, I, I would not be able to do that. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a tricky situation because of the money. I mean, it's, almost, it's not quite Kirk Cousins' territory, but it's close. Um, Garoppolo has certainly struggled. Um, and you almost saw in Nick Mullins last week, I know it was quote-unquote garbage time, but and it was Seattle defense, but they were still bringing pressure, and he played well. Mullins has shown that before. I mean, he's not great, but he, you know. Great. I mean, you saw the pick six against the Eagles where he basically threw between the four and the nine on the linebacker's chest. So there have been some mistakes, but I, I think – if, like you said, he, he's Kyle Shanahan, great offensive mind, offensive wizard. You could probably get decent enough play from Nick Mullins. You might have to think about doing something with Garoppolo. But will the money make it easy to do that? That's the tougher question for people smarter than me. Well, if I'm, if I'm Shanahan, I mean, I'm looking at Trey Lance and thinking, boy, if I had this guy for a year. Trey Lance could run their offense right now. Yeah. I mean, I said, that, I said that this summer. Like, he could fit in and run that offense. It's so schemat- similar schematically, 21 personnel, play action, all that stuff. Yeah, I think you could do that. I think when you have a guy who's been in the NFL this long and is this inconsistent with pressure and is – and we've talked about this before, uh, middle of the field closed, it yeah. is always MOFC with, with Jimmy G. There is – you know, if he's got a guy – if he's got – Kittle come in on an easy slant, he's still 50-50 is going to throw it late. Yeah. And that's just inexcusable. I, I, you know, Kyle Shanahan will forget 
more about football before breakfast than I'll ever know. But if I'm trying to get inside his head, thinking, okay, 137.5 million, the trade. We banked on this guy as our franchise quarterback. I just, between the injuries and the ineffectiveness, the inconsistency, you know, that Super Bowl, that playoff run where they did everything they possibly could have take the ball out of his hands. Yeah. Which, by the way, the Vikings are not doing with Cousins. Right. Um, start Dalvin Cook every week, kids. Uh, I, you know, I, I think that's that's where you're in purgatory. And there are other teams in that. But I think with Garoppolo, I think there's just there's too much evidence. This is not working. Yeah, when you get to the point with a quarterback at this level of experience that you have to treat him like a rookie and scheme every first read open for him because if he has to get to his second read or think in any way, shape, or form you're in trouble, that's a problem. So 49 is COVID list right now. Brandon Ayuk, Debo Samuel, Trent Williams, Kendrick Bourne, everybody else. Everyone who isn't hurt is on COVID. Uh, Green Bay's defensive front. I went back and watched that Vikings game. And the Vikings offensive line, wow, that was a performance. But pretty much all you have to do against Green Bay when you're running the ball is double Kenny Clark, single up everyone else because they're so fast, they're so aggressive to the ball. Um, this, by the way, and we'll talk about this later, is kind of how the Giants did power running against Tampa Bay. Um, but this, is, this, to me, screams Kyle Shanahan, schemed runs, 21 personnel. Jamichael Hasty might get 150 yards. This Packers defense, and everyone's been talking about Aaron Rodgers and the weapons and the trade deadline, and I think the only person less happy about November 3rd than Donald Trump might have been Aaron Rodgers. And Aaron Rodgers would have a stronger point. Uh, but that defense... J.R. Alexander is great. They have, like, nothing at linebacker. And certainly the Smith brothers as pass rushers are still good, but teams are gashing them. And it's kind of – it's weird. Yeah, and, you know, the interesting conversation about the Packers since the draft has been weapons, right? They didn't get weapons and didn't draft somebody for Rodgers. Maybe they should have drafted a defensive tackle. I mean, they can't stop the run right now. Uh, they, they just can't. I mean, that's a Vikings team that was basically tanking, and they ran all over you. Yep. And like you said, you just have to double Kenny Clark, single up everybody else. We're going to see Juice Check and Hasty on every single snap, I think. They are not going to get out of 21 personnel. You know, maybe they'll do some 12 um, with – do they have a second tight end? I don't know. Um, but, yeah, they're going to just run the ball – all night, Mullins might throw it 12 times. And they'll still probably win. They could. Yeah. I mean, there's an I and win, and there's an I and I formation. So there you go. There you go. So before we get into the Sunday and Monday matchups, uh, I did a list of the uh, – one list of the most underrated offensive players, one list of the underrated defensive players for the first half of the season. I asked you for your list. I'm just going to feature four guys. And I want to apologize, first of all, to Brian Burns of the Panthers and Malik Reed of the Broncos. Uh, you just I had Brandon Graham and um, oh shoot, I'm drawing up God, <laughs> oh. the guy from Miami. Why am I drawing a blank right now? Uh, huh? Was it Daniel Ogba? Uh, I had Ogba and Brandon Graham as my two edge rushers. Uh, Malik Reed and Brian Burns just missed the cut. So my apologies to you, gentlemen. You are being noticed, and you will be in secret superstars at some point if you keep playing at this rate. But I wanted to feature four guys, then I'll ask you for your four guys. Kendall Fuller of the Washington football team. Slot corner in his early days, and kind of like Chris Harris a number of years ago, has made the transition from inside to outside very seamlessly. uh, Washington lost Quentin Dunbar to the Seahawks. Fuller kind of became their guy. He has an opponent passer rating allowed this year of 9.3. Four interceptions, no touchdowns. And I wrote about this last week where – and the number of ways in which you can defensively scheme to confuse Josh Allen is growing by the week. But uh, this was a particularly nifty thing where they showed two-man before the snap, showed cover two after, and Fuller played it perfectly like he was beaten in man coverage, and then he recovered and jumped the route. He's, he's just playing so well. Uh, Julian Blackman, rookie safety for the Colts, allows Matt Everflus to throw too deep out there as much as he wants, which is really nice because Malik Hooker is on IR. You look at the Colts next year with Hooker and Blackman, ouch. Good luck throwing a post. Wyatt Teller, right guard for the Browns, has been hurt the last few weeks. Uh, Here's the stats with and without. And this, this is correlation causation because Nick Chubb has also been hurt. But the Browns have averaged 6.8 yards per carry with Teller at right guard, 3.9 without him. 
Their born block pressure rate for Sports Info Solutions, 5.5 with Teller, 9.2 without him. That's on the line. Uh, Cleveland's total offensive EPA, 0.14 with him, minus 0.07 without him. Browns are going to buy this week. Chubb and Teller are week to week. That offense, I know Baker threw for five touchdowns. That offense does not work as well without Wyatt Teller, and it's not really close. And then a guy in your neck of the woods, Michael Onwenu, left guard, right guard, right tackle, has played everywhere well, not bad for a sixth-round rookie from Michigan. And I think the Patriots should just load up on six-round picks and select all the guys from Michigan. Yeah. That well for them. I mean, they've had some success with that. Yeah. Look, Wendu's been great. Um, they've had to put him all over the place. He's been fantastic. I want to talk about Teller for a second because this week I wrote MVP candidates. And you talked about some guys you left off your underrated. Teller was a guy I had on my list that I left off. He's the best. And I know Zach Martin fans are going to beat the crap out of me. I don't think there's been a better right guard this year than Wyatt Teller. He's been fantastic, and I think your numbers back up. I know a guard is never going to get an MVP vote, let alone win it, which is why I left him off, but he's been fantastic. Um, you know, Obviously, Miles Garrett is a huge part of the success Cleveland has had, but I think Teller is just as big a reason, if not more so, given what you know their offense has been without him. Um, I'll just quickly run through my guys. Obviously, we start with quarterbacks. Joe Burrow, I think, has been fantastic. A lot of people are making the case that Justin Herbert might be rookie of the year, and there's certainly a case to be made there. But I think with the way Burrow is, quote-unquote, winning, and I hate that expression, how does a guy win? But, you know, we fall into that you know, nomenclature trap every once in a while. He's been fantastic. That little, like, anticipation throw he had to Tyler Boyd in the middle of the field against t- Tennessee last week. I know Brian Baldinger did a video about it. I talked about it in a video I did. It was just one of the most audacious things I've ever seen a quarterback do, and this is from a rookie. So, I mean, he's been... busted on Burrow for a second. He's handling things going from college to pro at an Andrew Luck level of volume. Yeah. I've seen a guy come in and not only grok an NFL offense right away, but have the entire team, the entire offense being thrown on his shoulders right away. I haven't seen any quarterback do that since Luck. Yeah. It's like, been, and it's, I'm, not, I'm not talking about, you know, 300 attempts and you're running the ball. I'm talking about this kid's throwing 60 times a game and he's still progressing and he's getting the snot beaten out of him and he's still working it. Yeah, I mean, he's been fantastic. I know a lot of people have started to question sort of the arm strength issue. You don't need an overpowering arm to be successful as a quarterback. Um, We've seen guys have that level of success without it before. We're seeing guys having that level of success without it right now. So Burrow's been great. Um, I think Matt Ryan remains one of the more like underappreciated quarterbacks in the league. Um, you know, pedestrian numbers on Thursday night against the Panthers, but so mechanically sound, just a textbook passer. Um, you know, if he ends up never winning the Super Bowl, I don't know if it will be as bad as Marito, um, but it would be disappointing for him. And I think disappointing for a lot of fans around the league because he's been so good. Um, Hall of Fame case, him or, him or Rivers? I would see, I always come back. Can you tell the story of the game without this guy in the Hall of Fame? And I think Ryan has a better case. I mean, I think you look at that 2016 season, the numbers he put up that year. I mean, that was legendary stuff. Mm-hmm. And, you know, obviously it's hard to say, oh, the guy's only going to be in because of a Super Bowl that he lost. But that was a fantastic year. You know, he's been an elite quarterback and put it up, you know, top five, top ten numbers for basically his entire career. Um, so, yeah, I, I think Ryan has a better case. Um, I think both should get in. Um, but I think Ryan has a better case. The other two guys I mentioned, two wide receivers, Tyler Lockett. I know everybody's going nuts about DK Metcalf. With reason, he's an alien. Like, he's just absurd. But Metcalf's been just as good, I think, and he's critical to their offense. So much of what they do, Metcalf's allowed to do what he can because Lockett has such variety to his game that they can just run two receiver routes Metcalf can do his thing vertically, and Metcalf's working the entire rest of the field as one receiver, which I think is impressive. I would, and the guy you're about to mention is another one, but I would say that Tyler Lockett, among young receivers, the word I keep coming up with is nuanced. Yes. He gets, it's not just the whole route tree, it's the subtle route adjustments. It's like, oh, this guy's playing 
closer to the scene than numbers, so I'm going to break it here, and you can look at Russ, and they just know. They got their mind yeah. I mean, the, the nuance of the route run with Lockett is tremendous. Um, and you kind of would expect it from a, a more veteran receiver, but you're seeing it from the next guy, Terry McLaurin. Um, if they could get stable quarterback play in Washington, you're talking about a, a top five receiver in the game, I think, at some point. That's how good he is. And, you know, people that saw him down at the senior bowl were blown away seeing him up close in person. And it's that nuance to his game, the footwork, the understanding of leverage, all very impressive from a young player. So, yeah, Terry McLaurin's fantastic. Yep. Denver and Atlanta. Atlanta, uh, have we seen improvement from Drew Locke the last few weeks? I know you've written about him. Where is he in his progression? What has he done better? And I want to mention another one of my underrated guys on offense, Tim Patrick. You know, Jerry Judy, KJ Hamler, you got Sutton. This guy came in out of nowhere in his third NFL season. He's one of the best deep threats in the NFL. Uh, 6'2", 214, I believe. Uh, Great speed and just the ability to make the contested catch. He and Travis Fulgham, like the two, what planet did you come from receivers this season? Yeah. um, You know, Patrick is incredible. Now, like you said, the vertical stuff, you talk about nuance, and we often think like slants and stuff like that. There's nuance to being a vertical receiver, too. And his footwork, his release game, how he uses his arms. I mean, he had a vertical rod. I think it was against Stephon Gilmore early in that game a couple of weeks ago. Yep. I was just like, man, like this is incredible stuff. The way he like uses his off arm to create space without being blatant about it, which is a, some nuance to the game. He's been fantastic. Fulgham, I mean, that's just absurd, the fact that, you know, he has become their wide receiver one. Um, I know there's a lot of consternation right now. They're a wide receiver two, so it's, it is a low bar. That's yeah, I mean, but I, I think he's been fun to watch. He's been a revelation. He's working himself into the Carson Wentz circle of trust right now, which is big. But, yeah, those two guys, two, those two guys are fun. As for Locke, um, you're seeing some development. Uh, I think a lot of it is a function of – you know, they, they got a chance to play from behind against the Chargers, and you saw some good throws when they were making some throws against off-coverage, zone-coverage, softer coverage. So that kind of flashed a bit. I think you are seeing some improvement. But the ball security situational awareness is still a question. Two second-half interceptions again. I mean, two fourth-quarter interceptions, really, against New England um, when they had an 18-3 lead to let New England back into the game. Like, that stuff he's going to work out. Um, but I, I do think that people in Denver were much too quick to say this guy's a bust because I heard that talk like two weeks ago. It was much too quick. Uh, I think this Chargers game was a good sign. You're seeing some growth there. So I think people can step away from the ledge just a little bit. Uh, Justin Jefferson, another – you brought up a really good point about um, nuance with receivers isn't just about running a slant, running option routes. It's about deep. Justin Jefferson has stood out to me as another guy who gets – and as a rookie – the, and as a slot guy in college, and now he's outside, and he, he really gets the nuances of deep receiving. When, when to do that subtle little Michael Irvin push-off, although in Michael's case it was never subtle. It was like, right. got away with it. Um, but Jefferson's another guy who's really impressed me in that regard. Yeah, he's, he's been – and I think his experience being used in the slot, which so many people use as a negative – it's been a positive because he understands spatial relationship from that area of the field, especially when they do so much 12 where they've got him basically in that alignment anyway, more as a flanker, a reduced flanker alignment. So, yeah, I, I think, and plus, you know, for a lot of receivers coming out of college, they're not asked to go over the middle too much. Yeah. That was why LSU used him. And so, well, for young rookie receivers, sometimes working over the middle and understanding leverage and spatial relations and knowing that you might get, you know, blown up, that's a bit of a learning curve. Jefferson doesn't have that. Yep. Seattle at Buffalo, this is a really interesting one. A uh, lot, lot to unpack here. Uh, Seahawks probably get Jamal Adams back. They debut Carlos Dunlap. They blitzed a lot against uh, the Niners. Bobby Wagner, NFC Defensive Player of the Week, which he can win in yep. you know, 12 different ways because he's him. Um, so that's one side of it. And then we discussed it on the podcast last week. Josh Allen against the Jets, captain check down. I mean, he threw yeah. like three deep attempts, one deep completion, and it was, uh, it was basically a coverage bust to Tyler Croft. Um, I don't know that you can necessarily say anything about Josh Allen's improvement against zone defenses. And Seahawks play a lot of zone, and they're not necessarily great at it. But I don't know that you can say – 
or maybe you, maybe you can, maybe you studied it more than I have. Any case for Josh Allen's improvement against A zone coverage and B's like coverage late or late in the snap in the pre-snap phase coverage switches because Seattle will do that to a point. Yeah, I'm. I, I think there's a bit of a case for that. You look look at what New England did to them. Obviously, they still stuck with a lot of man coverage, but it was like show zone, spin to man. He read some of that fairly well. I do think some of his better plays in that game were bust. You mentioned the throw. He had a throw to Croft that was a bust situation, like just past the sticks. Plus, it was a wet, rainy game. Um, one of his best throws in the game was just a creativity scramble drill situation, rolling to his right, you know, hitting Stephon Diggs. I think he could be in trouble in this one, even though Seattle's defense is a question mark, just because they will find some – they will be more comfortable to play zone. You know, Belichick is just very set in his ways with playing man coverage as much as he can. So I think there will be some more opportunities for him to get tested against zone coverage. I'm not sure he's quite there to figure it out yet. So I think that might be a tough matchup, even though Seattle's defense has struggled at times. Here's Josh Allen's problem. Uh, Buffalo's past defense this year, 12 touchdowns, three interceptions, not playing well. Tredavious White has been hurt. He's been in there, but he's not played like Tredavious White. So you've got uh, Alien 1 and Alien 2 and Metcalf and Lockett you've got to match up on. If Tredavious White is not 100%, I, mean, I, I don't know who you put on Metcalf. You might have to bracket him. That leaves Lockett open for one-on-one matchups, and thank you and good night. Yeah. <laughs> Russell Wilson this year, six touchdowns and no interceptions against man coverage. Uh, now, five of those came against the Patriots. Uh, so we're, we, we know about Seattle's offense. Buffalo's defense, I think it's an injury issue to a point because as, that, as Tredavious goes, so goes the defense. But this may be a situation where in the second half, Josh Allen is having to turn it loose 30 times. I don't like those odds. I don't like those odds either, but the odds I do like, Zach Moss getting a bunch of touches. Yes, my guy. He worked with him before the season and compared him. I had the audacity to compare him to Marshawn Lynch, and you showed a little bit of that uh, last week. I, we talked about him. I comped him to Roger Craig, and I was very excited to see him. Old school, nice. Yeah, because of the, he had a bit of an upright, upright running style with a bit of forward lean. You saw some of that against the Patriots. You saw some change of direction skills, you know, in the open field, making guys miss. I love his technique, the nuance. We mentioned nuance of wide receiver. Nuance is a running back using that off arm to shake tackles. You yep. um, saw that from Roger Craig too, with the elbows. Um, he was fun. runs angry. I like that. About yes. Yes, runs very angry. I think they've got to start giving him more touches. Singletary's a nice – I think he's a nice change of direction back, but I think they need to make Zach Moss the featured guy. Which, you know, talking to people around that situation, they – and they – I don't think they like – maybe he wasn't ready at, at a certain point earlier in the season. I think now they're like, yeah, he's he's the guy. Yeah. So that, that does expand their offense. Um you know, Seattle, it's, it's a jumpy defense with Jamal Adams. They're going to, you know, they're going after the quarterbacks. So you can fool them with misdirection and play action and stuff like that. Maybe Allen runs more than he passes. Uh, maybe he, you know, gets them in blitz packages where they're susceptible to certain run fits, and, and maybe that's how they win that game. But unless – well, I, I, I was going to say there's a way to stop Russell Wilson, and I just kind of laughed at myself and said, move right. on. There really isn't. Nope, he's alien one. Chicago at Tennessee, Titans traded for Desmond King, and this was an under-the-radar trade, and Pittsburgh getting Avery Williamson was another one. Uh, there weren't any really huge trades. But uh, Desmond King, still a really good slot corner. Titans this year, five touchdowns, no picks from the slot. You're not going to win anything that way. Um, and this defense, they let, uh, was it, Vic Beasley and Jonathan Joseph go. So if you're – if the Titans defense is letting you go, it might be time to consider a career in broadcasting. It yeah. doesn't leave them much. And, you know, I was someone who thought that Harold Landry would be, you know, in year two or three, one of the guys, you know, one of the big and you know, okay. But this, this is a, this is, this might be a tough watch because Tannehill, he's going to have to throw four touchdown passes every week for this team to win. And, He's going against a Bears defense that is not talked about because everyone talks about their cruddy quarterback situation, which is still cruddy. Um, 
though, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know what to say about this game except that it's winnable for the Bears, and it's another week where I say if Nick Foles can't get it done against defense X, they should consider doing something else, which trade deadlines out. Uh, they can't really do anything unless someone's released. But I, you know, and I keep saying, you know, 1963, 1985, 2000, 2010, it's defense and special teams and whatever you want at quarterback. They're kind of in the same place they have been. Yeah, I mean, unless you are a believer in Tyler Bray, and I know there were certain pockets of football at Twitter that thought there might be something there with him as a quarterback. I think that's the same number of people who voted for Kanye. Yeah, so, you know, and yeah, maybe. I mean, look, I, Kanye got a lot of votes in Tennessee, and you know, Tyler Bray went to Tennessee. So there there's something there, Doug. Um, yeah, look, obviously. Action is made. Yeah, obviously the story with Chicago was always the quarterback position. Um, they can't do anything because Trubisky's hurt now. Um, Nick Foles, they're just going to have to ride or die with him. He's in for one play, right? And he got hurt. One play, and he got hurt in a Taysom Hill kind of roll. So, yeah. Maybe that's a that's a little smoke signal down to a guy in New Orleans that continues to, although I guess, you know, Taysom Hill did catch a touchdown pass. Now, look, Chicago, like you said, the quarterback story always gets the most attention, but the defense is going to have to lead them. I don't know if it'll be enough. Maybe it's enough this week. Um Tennessee's offense has been okay the past couple of weeks. Um, Tannehill just made one bad throw in the end zone early in that game against Cincinnati. Bad read, bad throw, picked off by Jesse Bates, mentioned by you as one of the underrated players in the league right now, having a great year. Um, He doesn't make that interception. We're probably talking about a different game, but this might come down to Chicago's offense, Tennessee's defense, and which one is less bad on Sunday. Well, let's look at Tennessee's wins. I mean, they beat the Broncos 16-14 in the opener. Jaguars 33-30. Vikings 31-30. Bills 42-16. Texans 42-36. They lost to the Steelers 27-24, where Tannehill did everything he could to bring him back. Lost to the Bengals 31-20. This is the 2018 Chiefs. If they don't score 40 points, they're not going to win. Yeah. And, you know, Steve Spagnuolo ain't walking through that door. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I mean, you, those are some... Ryan Tannehill ain't going to throw for 50 touchdowns either. Right. And those are some disappointing wins, I think you could say. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, Baltimore to Indianapolis. Uh, here's the Ravens' COVID close contact list after Marlon Humphrey tested positive. Uh, Matthew Judon, Patrick Queen, Deshaun Elliott, LJ Fort, Malik Harrison, uh, Terrell Bonds, and Tyus Bowser, who almost made my underrated list. Really good player. So it's good that Ngakwe is there because he might be the only defensive. He and and Clayus Campbell can uh, redo their Jacksonville uh, quotation mark defense rushes because who boy. So not a good time to be facing a Phillip Rivers who, you know, was that, you know, so the the Lions game, was that a function of Rivers figuring things out or are you just playing the Lions? I think it was more playing the Lions. And you're somebody that's tracked this. Lions playing man coverage. They were they had gotten to zone coverage like three or four. This is where I, the, you know that that gif where the naked gun face palm where it's like the two guys and the five guys in the whole crowd. No, there you go. They went back to more man coverage, and part of it was when your first round top five corner is playing man coverage ten yards off the ball and is still slow to react, click, and close, you are going to have a problem playing man coverage. And, you know, Rivers, yeah, you know, he had a good game against Detroit, but they showed him so much more man coverage than they probably expected, and that gave him some very easy reads and throws and just quick decisions to make. And it allowed him to get the ball out of his hands quickly. He didn't have to challenge, you know, some tough windows. You know, and if you're questioning Rivers from an arm strength perspective, you might want to play a bit more zone coverage and make him try to throw into windows and keep your eyes on. They gave him easy reads and throws, and they lost as a result. So I think Rivers' comeback week we saw last week was more a function and a rebuke of, you know, Matt Patricia's decisions than anything else. Can I just say something? Jeff Okuda, whether it was press man or press zone, because there's both, of any cornerback I've watched in the last 10 years, I'd put him in the top three as yep. a college press corner. What? I just, I don't know. I, <laughs> uh, 
stress. We can just make noises for a while. <laughs> we stress scheme fit, scheme usage, and getting that part of the evaluation right, and they're not using the way he needs to be used. Yeah. They're using it's it's like, scheme fit, and then there's Beardy over there doing what he wants. <laughs> what did we see last year with Darius Slay? They didn't use him the right way, and it was actually weirdly flipped, right? Yeah. You know. They use Slay as more of a press type guy when he's better in sort of off coverage, and that's why a lot of people thought when he goes to, you know, when he goes to the Eagles, they use more off coverage. He's going to be able to clip and close. Now they've flipped it, and they're using Okuda in a role he's perhaps not suited best for. Yeah. Well, they use they use Quandre Diggs as like a slot linebacker half the time. Yeah. And, Whatever. Yeah. Uh, Eagles, by the way, playing more man coverage this year, which I think fits Slay's just. Over. Yeah. You could use him in that sort of off-man type role or zone. Like, that's okay. Right. Uh, Lamar Jackson, this is not a good matchup for – not. I mean, I don't know if any matchup's a good match. This is – Colts are zone-heavy. I've, I've talked to some people about – because I haven't watched the Colts' defense as much as I wanted to, so I've reached out to some people who know more than I do about defense. And it's, you know, they will tell me it's multiple fronts. It's multiple coverages. Yeah. You think you're getting too high and you're not. You think you're getting single high and you're not. You might have cover two zero or cover zero as your pre-snap, and then all of a sudden it's two trap. And it's really – they're able to do a lot of these things well because they're just so fundamentally sound. Uh, Colts play as much zone as any team in the league. Lamar against zone this year, seven touchdowns, four picks. It's, this is not good. No, it, it's, it's not. And we said last week that that was a bad matchup. You know, for Lamar Jackson against Pittsburgh, that was more a function of Pittsburgh's defense. But you're right. Pittsburgh's a bad matchup against anybody right now. Yeah, but you're right because, you know, two or three years ago, the culture basically just, we're going to play cover two. That's what we're going to do. And, you know, you can try to figure it out, but this is what we're going to do. We're going to do it pretty well. And they, they spun it a little bit to trap and stuff like that. But it was like, we're, we're a cover two team. Now they've really done a lot more in terms of concept, concepts, schematics, and things like that. And the problem is when you are a quarterback that is slow to make reasoned decisions anyway, and now you have to diagnose that stuff, you're in trouble. And you look at Lamar's pick six early against Pittsburgh, he was slow, assumed his, with his eyes and made a mistake. He's going to come into trouble against this defense. And this has been the thing. Ever, Dean Pease in his penultimate game before he retired, Titans great defensive coordinator, um, worked for the Ravens for a long time. Did he Was he with the Patriots at all? Yes, he was. Yeah. Um, just a great schematic mind. He he was the first guy to say, you know what, we're not going to be stupid and play man against the most amazing mobile quarterbacks as Michael Vick. We're going to spy the gaps, show them different coverages, the old Jim Johnson game plan. Lamar has not yet solved that, and he's seeing a lot more of it. He's going to see a ton against the Colts. Yeah, he is going to see a ton against the Colts. Um, and the problem is with that, those defensive COVID numbers – well, you might score a ton of points. Yeah. Yeah, that's going to be a tough one. Um, Panthers and Chiefs. Panthers play more cover three than any other team this year. Mahomes against cover three this season. <laughs> oh, boy. 48 of 76 for 583 yards, 270 yards after the catch, five touchdowns, no interceptions. Um, he carved Greg Williams up. It was, you know, the man, late spinning safeties, and he just goes, that's so cute. Um, the thing about the Chiefs this year, and Mahomes hasn't always played at the level, you know, it's, it's been up a little up and down. But here's the thing. A couple of teams, I know the Texans did it. Um, well, we're going to play too deep and just keep everything in front of us. And the problem you face with that is when Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy see too deep, they go, oh, it's Clyde Edwards, a lair time. And right. we're have him run 20 times for 150 yards and three touchdowns. Because I believe Clyde Edwards Alaire has broken the second most tackles of any running back in the NFL. So Green and the enemy have, you know, they, they can flip the switch either way and they will dictate what they do based on what you do. And if it's too deep, that's a light box. Here we go. And we're just gonna, you know, not having assembly is is a fairly crushing blow to that run game. They can still get it done. And that, I think, is where Carolina is in trouble. If you play single high and you bring it down against the run, Mahomes will torch your ass. And if you don't, then CEH or Le'Veon Bell will do the same. 
Yeah, and they can, it's kind of an unsolvable problem at this point. I mean, they, their, their offense, and we've talked about it over the years, has always been an unsolvable problem. It was mostly used, you know, how do you stop them in the passing game? Now it's how do you stop them, period. And even when teams play too high against them, the Jets tried some of that. They could still hit some vertical stuff because, you know, they ran this ridiculous sort of from a reduced split, you know, Tyreek Hill with an out-up post against cover two, which is I just, saw that I saw that on your video on Schofield's QB camp, which you can read at Touchdown Wire. Yeah, and that was just mean. Um, and they were doing some other stuff um, in the vertical passing game. So, yeah, you know, they'll carve you up. They'll, they will still be able to carve you up if you play too high, but they'll also be able to run against you as well. And then that plays into the, oh, well, now we've got to stop the run. We'll bring the safety down. Now you're playing single high against teams that can run four verticals with guys like, you know, Michael Hardman, Travis Kelsey, Tyree Kill. Good luck with all that. Mm, that's fun. And if you're Teddy Bridgewater, uh, I want to I want to throw a name at you that you're going to want to remember on Sunday. Legereus Sneed has been injured for a while. Rookie played his butt off earlier in the year. I believe they've activated him for this game. Big get for a Chiefs defense. It's been about league average, which is really you know that's that's what you want. That's all it needs to be. Sneed allows them to be more aggressive in coverage and more scheme versatile because he's a man and zone guy. That's a big get for them. Yeah, huge get for them. And, you know, this this Panthers offense has been good um, at times. Um, I think Teddy Bridgewater is okay and solid. um, But it's going to struggle against this defense, which, like you said, it has been solid. They can take away what – you're going to have to cover Robbie Anderson. Um, you might be able to sort of bracket him a little bit. And I think may be back. I don't know where that is. But let's say he is. I mean, that you just put the badger on him. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, I, I think we know where this game's going. Yeah, we do. Sorry, sorry, Panthers. Um, but that – and that's going to be something to watch. Like, if you play – too deep and you start to maybe spin the robber down to stop the run against the Chiefs, defensive coordinators are going to have to figure out ways to show the Chiefs, hey, we're playing too deep, so we want you to run, and then we're going to do this. Someone's yeah. going to have to start to figure that out because it's been really like stupidly obvious when you play too deep against the Chiefs, so you're just going to run the ball down your throat, um, and you can't let them do that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Detroit at Minnesota. Stafford's on the COVID list, did not test positive, but close contact, which could make this a Chase Daniel game. Um, I really don't have anything to say about that. Yeah, I mean, there's nothing to say about a Chase Daniel game. Yeah. Like, you know, kudos on him for the career that he's had. Um, I think you have to give him some credit for sticking around the way he has. But yeah, go board taking a profit. No. Um, look, you know, they'll find ways to get Kenny Gall out of the ball. I think they'll scheme some stuff. They'll do some, you know, screens and all that kind of thing. You know, I, Detroit, Minnesota, a couple of weeks ago, Detroit Lions, they were buyers, um, but that was a bad loss last week. Um, you're going to have to sell out and stop the run because Minnesota has just decided that we're going to, you know, put the handcuffs on Kirk Cousins. Yep. Yeah, the whole Justin Jefferson thing, go back and look at the game pass highlights because it was nice while it lasted. Yeah. Maybe, maybe uh, 2022 when they can actually cut Cousins. Right. I mean, the question about Jefferson might be, can he run block? because that's how he's going to be used now. Yeah, pretty much. And that, again, I will say that was an absolutely, if you're, if you're into O-line porn, uh, get the all 22, get the end zone shots of Dalvin Cook's four touchdowns and all his big plays. And, you know, that attendant problem for the Packers, if you double Kenny Clark and you can just single everybody else. Um, and, you know, for future reference, Mike Pettin, plays more dime than he schemes more dime than any other defensive coordinator. He had to play base. I mean, that's how bad they are. So that's, that's, that's a problem going forward. Giants at Washington. I think we need, there are two defenses we need to start talking about. Washington's is one, 22 sacks, 24.8% pressure rate. They rank second in adjusted sack rate behind the Steelers. Kendall Fuller is playing at a top three cornerback level. And here comes double agent Daniel Jones, who can't read under pressure and struggles to go through his progressions at the best of times. Thanks. And I'll go back to that, that thing about Washington showing man and playing zone. They did that last year. I, I picked it up when I was studying Quentin Dunbar after he got traded to the Seahawks. Um, Colts do that, but good luck, Lamar, because the Colts do that too. Um, 
Washington does that. Their defense, I mean, their quarterback situation is it makes the Bears situation look good. But that defense, and they still have Ryan Carrion. A lot of teams could have used him. Uh, the defense is for real. And based on what I've seen from Jones, that's a that's a super problem. I, I, if you're Jason Garrett, how do you curb his more rogue tendencies at this point without completely shutting down the run game? I mean, because the run game that 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 whole strategy against the Buccaneers that ain't gonna work against Washington. No, it won't work against Washington's front. You're gonna have to throw the ball against these guys. The problem is. One, you're doing it with a quarterback that has had some pocket security mismanagement issues and has had some strip sacks and fumbles. That was like a New York Times level normalization right there. Congratulations. That was that was good. <laughs> We're gonna call you Haberman from now on. <laughs> Sides in that one to death. Um well, I mean, I, I think the bigger issue from Daniel Jones right now is that Jason Garrett called a very good game against. I agree. I agree. I think. I think based on what that def- that Tampa Bay defense was good at and vulnerable with, I thought Garrett called a one hell of a game. Did his best work. And I think the two point conversion encapsulates the problem with Daniel Jones as a quarterback right now because when you show motion, and it's clear as day to everybody. Well, I guess there are only a handful of people in the stadium, but everybody watching on TV that it's man coverage, your immediate read and your only read is that flat route. And everybody talks about pass interference, whatever. If Jones had done what he was supposed to do, we're not talking about that because it's a walk-in two-point conversion. But the fact his eyes were still so slow on that to realize that it's man coverage and Winfield is going to have to fight through three vertical releases from three tight ends, so three big bodies there, what else can you do? If you're Jason Garrett, you have schemed your first read, your primary read open, and the ball's not coming out. You pull- Jason Garrett and Kyle Shanahan should start an emotional support group. Yeah, I think they should. You know, And I think Jay Gruden, too, because this was Gruden's you know, problem with Kirk Cousins. He's yeah. like, I'm scheming this open. What else do you want? So, yeah, I, I think the conversation has to be had in New York right now. And let's, let's game this out a bit. Dave Gettleman is tied to Daniel Jones. Mm-hmm. His evaluation, his job security is tied to Daniel Jones. And at this point, I don't he picked a third round guy in the first round and he was defiant about it. Absolutely. And that's going to be probably the reason Gettleman gets fired at the end of this year. And if you're a new GM coming in, you in all likelihood had a much different evaluation of Daniel Jones. He's not your guy. Where does that leave you if you've got the second pick in the draft? Yeah. There you go. Houston and Jacksonville. You got anything on Jake Luton? Because I have nothing else to say here. He um he has he has a very good arm, big arm, um, shows a good understanding of leverage, and there's absolutely no reason unless your last name is Luton to watch this game. Like not. Like Isn't he like six six? Yeah, he's big. I mean he, he he's a big like stand there and you know, throw it wherever it might go. So they got Mike Glennon and Jake Luton, and they apparently don't want Gardner Minshew. Hey, you know what? I can think of about 20 NFL teams that would like Gardner Minshew right now. Yeah, I think there's one in Chicago. I think there's one in Washington. I think there's one in New England. I mean, Luton was better last week, but yeah. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, But Houston-Jacksonville, I mean, is anybody watching this one? Deshaun Watson's been playing good football. Um, Can we please save Deshaun Watson? please yeah. can we call in like the national guard or something because this is getting bad uh yeah well i think the national guard is unfortunately busy right now but we'll see how that goes <laughs> uh yeah las vegas at chargers not that the raiders can do either of these things but justin herbert is ripping and we we talked about this a couple weeks ago how unusual it is that a rookie quarterback can dictate to a defense you cannot do these things against him. you cannot right. pressure him and you cannot play man coverage against him um, Paul Gunther should at least try some coverage switches because this doesn't look well for the Raiders. They're playing – Las Vegas is playing slightly better zone than man. But, you know, your only hope against Herbert right now is to confuse him. And it's, it's – we talk a lot about late switches. I think for one reason, Pete has kind of become de rigueur in the NFL to do that. I think 
the Raiders with their defensive talent, such as it is, you're going to have to scheme your ass off for this to work. Yeah, you will. And that's, that's a Raiders defense that has struggled. You know, I, I think if, you know, if you play man coverage, I know the Raiders have played a bit more zone, but if you play any man coverage, Herbert's going to beat you because he has that good understanding of leverage. He's very good in those moments. Um, you know, this game might sort of come down to more what happens when the other two units are on the field with Derek Carr against that Raiders, that Chargers defense, excuse me. Um, and like you've written, we've talked about it last week, Carr's been very good this year. Um, and the thing is, he was my, my underrated quarterback, and he's been amazing with the deep ball. 11-20 uh, for 438 yards, four touchdowns, no interceptions on 20-plus air yard throws. But it's the 20 attempts. Carson Wentz leads the NFL with 45 uh, deep ball attempts. I think this is a good week to let to have John Gruden take the training wheels off and say, hey, kid, you want to throw 10 deep balls and complete six? and have rugs go for three touchdowns, that, that might be a good week to do it. I think so. And, you know, the fact that the Raiders' offense is slowly getting more vertical, we talked about it last week, really good thing for them. Um, you know, I, I think Carr was well worthy of being mentioned in your piece because he has been be- he has been very good this year, and it's just not getting talked about. It was overshadowed, you know, two weeks ago with Tampa Bay, last week in an ugly weather game. I know we're going to talk about that. I'm going to save that for the next matchup we're going to talk about, but – you know, he did enough against the defense that Miles Garrett could hurt, so he was able to have a bit more time in the pocket than he expected. But Carr's been very good this year. This is a fun quarterback matchup to watch for me um, because we might be seeing these two guys duking it out in the AFC West for the next couple of years. This is a fun one. And I'm just looking at Carr. This is per Sports Info Solutions. This is against zone, 20 air yards or more. Derek Carr this year, 5 of 8, 229 yards, 167 air yards, and a touchdown. <laughs> That's just – yeah. He needs to be throwing the ball deep more is what we're saying. Yeah. In case you didn't get that yet. Uh, yeah. I, I, t- could be time to release the deep ball, I said in my notes. <clears throat> Pittsburgh at Dallas. Steelers have the chance to go 8-0, I believe for the first time in franchise history, which, given the history, is pretty impressive. Um. With Dallas' defense, I don't think Roethlisberger is going to throw uh, perfect downfield passes to Trevon Diggs. Problem is, Trevon Diggs was the Cowboys' cornerback. Yeah. That person once did. But is it time? I've been watching this sort of from kind of in my peripheral on Red Zone on Sundays, and I just keep noting it like, hmm. So I watched some Roethlisberger tape early this morning, and he was 0 for 4 on deep balls against the Ravens. And these were not coverage misses. He had one. I mean, he's – is there a mechanical thing that you're seeing or an injury thing? He seems to be sailing balls with his upper body. I think the idea when he came back this year was for him to be the quote-unquote point guard. the yeah. So maybe he's not supposed to be throwing deep. But I saw some, like, short misses. He, like – he had a, a gopher ball, a total worm burner to Ebron, I think it was his first or second throw. Should we be worried about Roethlisberger more than we're talking about? Because from what I've watched, and it's not been like five games yet, uh, it's been about 30 snaps. Are we talking about this a little more as a vulnerability than we have been? I think it's something to put a pin in. Um, I've A lot of games last week, I'm kind of thrown out from a quarterback evaluation standpoint. Weather, wind, rain, raw. I'm throwing that stuff out. Like, I know a lot of people were, you know, what about Baker? What about Lamar? And, you know, if you're missing on throws in these games, I'm kind of putting that to one side and saying, okay, it's something to watch going forward. You know, it's a different than if you're, like, slow with a reader or a decision, like on Lamar's pick six. So, with this Roethlisberger, he, like you said, he missed on some throws. It seems like he was kind of, like, you know, shot putting it at times. Mm-hmm. I'm watching it and I'm saying, okay, this is something to know. If we see that this week in the you know, cozy environments of Jerry World, against that defense, against that defense, then I think we really have to have the conversation. I would imagine that he's going to be okay in, in against this defense, and things will be fine. But it might be something to just keep an eye on because if you get to some more weather games and this comes to an issue, maybe you've got a hand, a nerve. Because remember the injury he had. Remember with, um, you know, Peyton Manning, when he had that nerve injury, it was the neck, 
and it was the fingertips, and you couldn't grip the ball. And what does that lead to? It leads to you missing some throws. Yeah. And if you're missing on shortened, you know, even shortened deep throws, and it's because of the injury, which might crop up in cold weather, that might be something to watch. Uh, Miami, Arizona, we need to start. This is the second defense we're going to start talking about. Uh, boy, Miami's defense leads the NFL in uh, scoring. They've allowed just 130 points. Brian Flores and Josh Boyer, boy, they're, they're putting together some nifty stuff. And they just, just they demolished Jared Goff with cover zero blitz. And if you can't, I mean, as I've said in this podcast already, ways in which you can confuse Jared Goff seems to grow every week. Uh, this was not good. This was all caps, not good for the Rams. But for the Dolphins, I think it signifies that I think it was against the Patriots last year, they played a ton of cover zero and they just got destroyed. And this year it works. And I think you're looking at a defense that's really growing. Uh, we talked about Emmanuel Oba, who is right now playing edge, both against the run and the pass, as well as anyone in the NFL. Xavier Howard is playing out of his mind. I mean, it, it, I was glad the Dolphins weren't sellers because I think they're legit. And, I, you know, it's way too early with Tua. I don't even want to go there yet. Um, but this defense is something else. And they can, play, they can play you differently. Flores is doing what he learned from the master, which is you adjust to your opponent every week. And when you can run different defenses every week, that, that's – you're starting to put something together that's pretty special. Yeah, and what's one of the things that we often – talk about when we talk about the Patriots over the past few years, it's because they have the talent in the secondary, they can play matchups the way they want to in the secondary and then get creative up front. Um, you know, because at times you've seen them do more zone stuff, but they said, look, we're going to trust our guys to play man coverage. We're going to trust Jones. We're going to trust Howard. We're going to trust the rookie. We're going to trust Rowe in the slot. And we're just going to come after you because we don't trust you, Jared Goff, in the face of pressure. And some of Goff's decisions and throws against the Blitz were just horrific. And so, yeah, Flores deserves Coach of the Year consideration, period, full stop. And this is a playoff team. I think it is time to say that the Dolphins are a playoff team um, because this defense is going to carry them there. This is going to sound crazy to you. I'm starting to get shades of early Seattle Russell Wilson from this team where we are going to have a very good defense. We have a rookie quarterback that we're going to build around. Um, we don't need him to do much right now, but we'll trust this defense to win us some games. That's the vibe I'm getting. It might be outlandish. I might be completely wrong with this, but I think that Flores has done a fantastic job. Tua didn't need to do anything. He didn't need to do anything in that game. But the touchdown he threw, one of the toughest throws by separation of the entire year, it showed you the quick release, the velocity, the ball placement. This is going to be a fun game. This is going to be a very fun game to watch because now you're getting Vance Joseph, who's also doing some great work conceptually, schematically, and all that stuff. I think you might see more Isaiah Simmons. They might use him to spy Tua. There are a lot of conceptual elements in this game, but I think it's time to talk about the Miami Dolphins as a playoff team. Well, one of the things, um, I, Flores said this, um, Flores and McVay both said this, that one of the reasons the Dolphins blitzed so much is they wanted to take away empty from the Rams, and they did it right away. And you've got a team, you know, here's <laughs> here's you know Cliff Kingsbury, and he does adjust to the opponent. He's not just he's – run, he's not running – you know, Baylor spread every, but if you can take away Arizona's empty package in the passing game, what does that do? Yeah. I mean, I, I think the difference is Jared Goff versus Kyler Murray. Yeah. In the sense that if you take away, you know, their empty passing game, Cliff might still stick with that because he trusts Kyler to make a guy, make a blitzer miss create with that athleticism, whereas Jared Goff isn't going to do that. That's number one. Number two, you know, you might go to more of your ground game zone read, let Kyler Murray use his legs, his athleticism to neutralize some of that stuff up front. So you can't just rush. You can't just penetrate. You have to keep your eyes up and see what's happening. By the way, Miami's pass defense, third in the league in DVOA, their run defense, dead last. Yeah. I mean, this might be sort of that ground game type of afternoon. Um, 
like I said, look, this is going to be a fun game to watch. You know, I, I think it might be a Chase Edmonds breakout game, dare we say, which I know some corners of fantasy Twitter have been clamoring for for a while. Love me some fantasy Twitter. Yeah, they do. Uh, so New Orleans and Tampa Bay, Giants were able to expose that Bucks quick defense with power running. I mean, it, this could be more Alvin Kamara to the side, but you go back to week one. I mean, it, power running could be a blueprint to slow that defense down or make them think differently. Bowles went with a lot more standard fronts in the first half than I expected, so maybe he was seeing that coming and he was trying to be more stayed from – because usually with Tampa Bay, you will never see the same front from down to down. Never. Like, I'm not exaggerating. Never. And this was pretty, you know, bang, here we are. Either, you know, five or four-man fronts. You go back to week one, and that was when the Saints were all over the Bucks' quick outs. So I want to ask you, as the uh, preeminent Tom Brady scholar of our lifetime, in half a season with Leftwich, Arians, Brady – where have you seen Brady maybe sort of bending to the Arians passing game and Arians doing inverse and with Leftwich sort of in the middle? Where does that stack up after half a season? You know, I, I think where you've seen – you have seen Brady being asked to get more vertical in the passing game. There have been a lot of, you know, three, four vertical concepts that they just weren't running in New England. Like, that was – barely even in their playbook. I mean, you go, th- you pour through a 300-page Patriots playbook, four verticals, or I think they call it Chicago, or no, I think they call it Seattle, you know, very Saban-esque. It's, a, it's on page 315. Like, it, it's like, you know, it's like, the you know, appendix, basically. It's like, we might call this once a season. It's right next to the Julian Edelman deep outs for, as a quarterback. And the Julian Edelman double passes are sooner in the playbook. Yes. Than- the four vertical stuff, but they are asking them to do more vertical stuff. They are asking them to throw the deep ball more. So you're seeing the bend to Arians there, but you're also seeing a lot of the Brady staple under center play action crosser Y cross to the tight end stuff, which is bread and butter braided a Gronk braided a Watson, you know, braided up every single tight end that has ever come through the Patriots system. Like, you know, that's not a ton of – Arians doesn't, didn't do a ton of that stuff before now, but you're seeing it a lot. Um, and I think that's what they've kind of settled on. I think the week one game plan with these out routes, Tom Brady, as good as he's playing, that's not his game right now. Well, and he was – I mean, and you were talking about throwing quarterback games out last week. He was off in the first half against the Giants. Do we throw that out or do we look at it? Is it indicative of anything? I, I, I think – I think that you look at it. I think you look at it from the perspective it's twofold. One, I think we have to give some credit to this Giants defense. Yes. You know, we talked. It's better than anybody thinks. Yeah. You mentioned earlier that Giants-Washington game about two defenses that we need to talk about, and then we focused on Washington. I think we have to talk about the Giants defense being a lot better than people expect. Um, and they have been. James Bradbury is playing great. Yep. Um, they've done some conceptual stuff, some sub-packages, which have been interesting. Blake Martinez, say what you want about linebackers, say what you want about him. He's constantly near the football, had a forced fumble, which was a big play in that game Monday night. Good in coverage, too, by the way. Yeah. So, I, look, they, they've done some good things defensively, so I think you take that into consideration. Um, you know, and, and Brady against the New York Giants is just a red flag thing anyway. I don't know what it is. Maybe he's having flashbacks. There weren't many teams wearing that color uniform in the Big Ten, so I don't know. Maybe it's a Penn State thing. I don't know. But he just, he's just, it's a red flag for him. It's his kryptonite. Um, so I think, you know, I think we give some credit to the Giants. This game, though, this might be something to watch just for history. Breeze Brady, it might be the last time we get that. Yeah. Um, so I think that's an interesting angle. But I, I do think it's a different offense than it was back in week one from Tampa Bay's perspective. Um, so I do give Tampa Bay the, the edge here. Um, I'm very curious to see the Saints offense against Todd Bowles. Because Todd Bowles was pissed, you could tell. <laughs> he did not like the Giants running all over him. Uh, you know, when <laughs> was Alfred Morris, really? What? Huh? What year is this? Uh, so I, I'll be very curious to see how he – I haven't watched their defense in week one against the Saints. I need to do that before Sunday. But I'll be very curious to see how Bulls – if he goes more variable, 
you know, what they do in coverage because they have the guys back there to do that. Um, yeah, that's going to be interesting. Yeah. Uh, Jets at New England, I don't really have anything to say about this. I want to close with a thought. You know the Pats a lot better than I do. You know the Pats better than most people do. Uh, Belichick's comments this week about the salary cap, the cost of building to championships. Um, what are your thoughts on that? And if we're talking about the Patriots in 2021, they've got a lot of cap flexibility already. Um, you know, if Gilmore's out, if other people are, you know, is this a full-scale rebuild or is it like a one-year thing? It looks more full-scale to me. I I think it's more – I think it's actually both. I think they have to do a lot offense, quarterback, boundary receivers, tight end. I think they have some issues there. I think their offensive line is okay. I think their running back group is going to be very good. I think they've got something in Damian Harris. I think defensively they're pretty much okay. They might need to add a, you know, a piece or two up front. Um, they might get it back artificially with Hightower coming back. That will help linebacker. And I'll say again, by the way, J.C. Jackson would be a CB one on like thirty NFL teams. Thirty. He could be a CB one on thirty-two. Yeah. I mean, he could be a CB one for them right now. He actually kind of is a CB one right now because Gilmore's not playing as well as we might have expected. Um. So I, I think that there's a lot that they have to do. I think, though, that they will have the ability to get a lot of that done because of their cap space and because of the fact that they're trending in the direction of having a very early pick. Um, right now they would be picking eighth. I don't think they stay at eight, but they might have a top 12 pick. Well, when- just to, to, the base salary cap estimation for over the cap next year because of revenue losses to COVID is $176 million. Patriots at that would be $65 million under the cap. Only the Jets, Jaguars, and Colts have more. Right. Um, so you could add, you know, pieces, multiple pieces, dare we say Dak Prescott, whatever you want to say, to paper over some of those issues. And then if, if Bill Belichick passes on Micah Parsons, the linebacker, I would be stunned um, because I think that screams Bill Belichick at like 12 or something. Linebackers tend to slide a bit. I think he's a top five talent, but linebackers slide. And that would, with him back in Hightower, uh, with Hightower back in Micah Parsons, like you could fix the front almost overnight. So I think that, that there's a lot that they need to do, um, but I think that they can do it in short order. The one fear I have, you know, taking my NFL analyst hat off and putting my Patriots fan hat back on, they have to figure out outside wide receiver. Like it has been like a lot. It's been a blind spot, black hole, train wreck of a dumpster fire in terms of the evaluation process for the Patriots. They get slot receiver right. I mean, look at the wins that they've had there. Julian Edelman, Wes Welker, you know, and part of that, yes, might have been Tom Brady. Yes, we as we are seeing Tom Brady can paper paper over and mask any sort of sin from a roster construction standpoint. But they can't get the outside receiver right. People might say Randy Moss. Okay, I mean Randy Moss. He's Randy Moss. Like, yeah, yeah you don't really need to put on your Paul Brown football genius hat to figure that out. And just step away from that. In 2007, that was pretty much a told story. Yeah, I mean, you know, Chad Jackson. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's the first one I always think of. Um, yeah, Chad Jackson's an easy one. Nikhil Harry over DK Metcalf last year's draft. Um, and I know a lot of people were worried about Metcalf from the neck injury. I know a lot of people, perhaps New England, because of the emphasis they place on the three-cone drill, probably said, look, he's not going to run our route tree. This is the Patriots organization that has prided themselves on asking the right questions, as in what can he do, not what he can't do. They fell into their own trap when they passed on Metcalf much to my chagrin and the chagrin of many's. Um, so, yeah, they have to figure out outside receiver, and that's an area where I just don't know if they can get it right, given how they seem to treat that position right now. It's a good point. I mean, I uh, obviously being in Seattle, I was at Metcalf's rookie minicamp, and I watched his college tape. I watched Alabama specifically. Um, watched him run, you know, skinny slants that he just wasn't getting the ball. Like, this guy's a better route runner than you think. And I will point to my draft misses. Uh, hello, Aaron Curry. Hello, Justin Herbert. I'm going to take the L for Herbert all year long. But I watched Metcalf in about a practice and a half, and I went, you guys screwed this up. This dude is going to be a force. And yeah. he has. So. Yeah. 
I mean, look, we, we all have draft misses. Um, Dak Prescott is a big one that I will have to. Yeah, I, I kind of whiffed on that one, too. On, um, my, our buddy Greg Cosell was all over Dak. Like, yeah. guys don't get it. And, yeah. Um, you know, and, and Josh Rosen is another one that I will just have to own to the end of time. Um, yeah, I mean, the Metcalf. I, I was with Bleach Report, and I wrote Josh Rosen could be the offensive rookie of the year. Clang. Yeah, um, and then, you know, I wrote about Rosen that, look, he's smart, cerebral, like the kind of quarterback you want. He's going to be able to step into an NFL offense. And then we learned that he never – he doesn't know how to identify the mic. Yeah. So, uh, but Metcalf was one that you could see from a mile away. And if it's like, you know, how can he run an NFL route tree, don't ask him. Don't ask him. Run nines as a rookie. Well, I remember also uh... – KJR, one of our two local uh, sports stations up here, had Metcalf's college receivers coach on the show. And this was like the day before that rookie minicamp. So I was able to incorporate, I transcribe it and incorporate it in the article. And he's like, he ran routes in practice that you never saw. So that's another indication of there are things we as draft analysts are, you know, are watching YouTube cutups and whatever all 22 we can get, you know, from the wire. Right. Uh, the touchdown wire, the illegal bootleg wire, and we're trying to figure it out. And meanwhile, these guys are, you know, they're talking to their coaches and they still can't figure it out. It's evaluation is a tough thing. Yeah, it's a very tough thing. And, you know, as I always say and I always tell people, like, we get 5% of the information that these teams have, right? Yeah, yeah. I can't call DK Metcalf's high school coach and ask him. I mean, I could call him, but he's not going to return my call. You know, I can't sit down with DK Metcalf in most cases and, like, whiteboard stuff. I might be able to ask him a couple of questions, but I'm not going to get that kind of access. I can't hire private security to, like, track him on his flight from college to Seattle to see how he treats gate agents. Like, we don't get that information. NFL teams do, and they still get it wrong. Yep. So. Tough deal. Yep. All right, Mark, great stuff as always, my friend. Uh, keep it tuned to the wire through the Thursday night game. And uh, anything else important that might happen tomorrow or Friday, God, merciful God, please, whatever deed you choose to pray to, let it be over. Let it be accurate, but let it be over sooner than later. Yeah. <sighs> However it works. And uh, looking forward to Sunday and Monday's games. All right, Mark, thanks again as always, and we'll talk to you next week. Sounds good, my friend.